All right, praise God. We're going to continue in worship this morning, and uh, we're going to study God's Word together. Um, as, we all, as we do when we open the Word of God, I mean, I love that this is not a dead book. It's living. It's, 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 it's alive with the Spirit of God, that He has inspired it, and not only that, He's inspired us to understand it. I mean, no matter where we are in life, if we're young and if we're old, if we're wore out or if we're ready to go, like the Word of God matters to our lives. And so as we enter into it, it we, we don't worship the Bible, we worship the God of the Bible. And so I'm going to ask you to join me in praying that he would open our hearts and minds to hear his word today, uh, that that would be to his glory and for our good. So please join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, today we've come into your house to sing praise to your name, and not always with song, but with our life, with our testimony, with our story. Father God, we thank you so much for the life you've given us. We thank you for the conviction of, of spirit that we are called to respond to your great love. And I pray, Father, that in this time, as we open your word, a word handed down from the, uh, those uh, who have followed you before, that it would awaken in us a passion for you, a passion for the people that you are dying to save. And Father, I thank you so much for Jesus Christ. I thank you for the pouring out of your Holy Spirit upon us who are so undeserving that we could know you, that we could know the depths of you by your grace and mercy. And so in this time, we pray you would open our minds and our hearts to your word, that we could not only hear it, but we could live it each day. May you be glorified and praised now and forever. And Jesus' people say, amen. Praise God. We're going to go ahead and jump into the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us, you know we've been in Ephesians for a while, right? And we're going to study Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up a few more verses here, 8 through 16. This is, we're going to wrap up Ephesians by the end of July. And so we're going to kind of quickly, you know, finish this up. But the book of Ephesians, if you've been with us, you know that it was written to the church in Ephesus. The very interesting thing about the church in Ephesus is that they had many gods. I mean, the church didn't, but the people in Ephesus had many gods. And Paul came in as a missionary. And remember, he took some people with him, and, and, and he, uh, he evangelized Ephesus. And then he writes this letter back to the church to encourage them in two things. He writes to encourage them in the reality of Christ in their life. That's chapters 1 through 3. If you read 1 through 3, it's all about what God has done for his people. And he wants the church to understand that, to own that, to wear that right? And then in 4, 5, and 6, he says, therefore, for this reason, because of what Jesus has done, this then is how your life should look. And he makes no apologies for offering a rebuke, offering a correction to the way we choose to live. I, I, I've been stunned as we've been studying God's word together at the reality that he's writing to the saints in Ephesus, those who are believing in Christ for salvation. And then he says, by the way, take off this nasty stuff and put on God himself. Put on the righteousness of Christ in your life. He's writing to believers when he says, put off and put on. It has this word, and we heard it last week, that as a, as a believer in Jesus, we can still choose to live in willful disobedience to his call over our lives. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, you know what? It really strikes me. You want to know how to be a miserable Christian? I mean, do you want to know how to have just a terrible life as a believer in the God who is redeeming all of creation? 
just disobey him. You will begin to suffer. You will suffer from the inside out. You will not like it because God's spirit is in you. And God hates sin. He hates it so much, he sent his son to die so that we could be righteous. And so therefore, there's this internal struggle. And Paul writes to the churches and he says, there's this battle inside of us. And it's the battle of God. And he is making his claim over us as his people. Therefore, if we live in disobedience, we'll be miserable Christians. There's so much to say about that, but we're going to jump into the word today and see what God has for us. But I want you to realize, again, this is written to the church. We are to, this comes, by the way, we're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 5. Paul says, for you were once in darkness, but now you, I'm sorry, let me start again. <laughs> see what I did? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I'll remind you that he come, this comes on the heels of his teaching about how to interact with the world. He says in verse 6, read back with me, just a little backstory. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things God wrath, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, right? His great white-hot passion is poured out on the disobedient. Therefore, do not partner with them. So he's talking about how to interact, and he says this to the church. You were once darkness, but now you are light. You know, a minute ago when I started reading that text, did you hear what I said? I said, you were once in darkness. You know, when I read that originally, that's how I read it. Yeah, I was in the, I had the, in the room with the lights out. I was lost. I was, I was dead in my sin. I was hopeless. And we turned the light on, right? God turned the light on. I could see there's a song about that, isn't there? But you know what's interesting? Paul writes to the church, and he says, no, church, you were darkness. You were darkness. I think, what does that mean? What does it mean to be darkness? This is what he says in verse 8. Because you were once darkness. I was thinking back. I love the way God works. And I love how he keeps bringing people around. He keeps bringing his saints around. He keeps reteaching us the same lessons until we learn them. Back whenever I was involved in youth ministry, I wasn't a youth pastor. I was a youth helper. And, and uh, there was this fantastic young youth minister. Her name was Casey Blanchett. If you know that name, it's because I'm related to her by marriage, my lovely wife's sister. But she has this, this idea for, uh, for a... Uh, a skit in church. Now, if you know youth pastors, they usually have crazy ideas for skits in church, okay? And so she's like, hey, let's do this skit. I know we're going to do this skit. And we get all these high school kids together and try to have this skit, which is controlled chaos anyway. No one's paying attention in rehearsal. No one really cares what's going to happen. You think this is going to be a disaster. No one's going to be impressed. And then, but this is the skit she comes up with. She says, okay, I want to have, I want to have um, Jesus walking around the sanctuary. And then I want to have all the kids walking around the sanctuary, living life. And then I want to have some dark figure going around. And, and this dark figure is going to touch the kids. And when the dark figure touches the kids, the kids are stuck in their life. 
They can no longer move. They can no longer be free. They're frozen. They can't do anything. And then Jesus is going to walk around, and he's going to touch these young people, and they're going to be free, and they're going to move. But this dark figure is going to keep coming back and touching them and freezing them. And I am, but we're having this conversation. She and I are the only ones having it. You know what I mean? The other 10 kids are just like everywhere, right? They're not. So finally we say, hey, hey, pay attention. So here's the idea. Who wants to be Jesus? Do you know nobody wants to be Jesus? Isn't that interesting? Okay, so we get somebody to be Jesus. And they say, who wants to be the dark figure? And somebody, oh, I'll be the dark figure. And Casey gets this cloth. And uh, you guys remember this? Yeah. And, and she puts this cloth over them. And I remember the first thing the youth says, I can't see. And she's like, you'll be fine. Just walk. You'll be, youth pastor. <laughs> you'll be fine. <laughs> okay. And so, so she puts this cloth over this kid. Now, here's what's interesting. Chris Odell isn't here this morning. I wish Chris Odell was here because I remember, I believe it was Chris that said this. Chris said, you know what we should do? We should have the figure going around and touch people. They freeze. I get this part. And Jesus has them free and they freeze. I get that part. But at the end, we should have this holy smackdown where Jesus goes over to the black figure and he's like, you know, and Jesus is like, you know, like this, right? And it's divinely inspired stuff, isn't it? (laughs) And as we talk, with these young disciples of Jesus, these people who are asking, what does it mean? Who is this Jesus? What does it mean that you're stuck in your sin, that you're frozen? Someone says, no, no, no. You know what should happen. Someone should, Jesus should come over and should touch the person who is darkness. And the cloth should be removed. And they should be free. That's a different story, isn't it? That's a more biblical story. The word says that you were once darkness. And in Christ, you were light. So that's what we did. We, we had this student that we covered, and at the end... After the student had touched and frozen everyone in their sin, and Jesus set them free repeatedly, and the battle raged for a while during service, there was this moment where Jesus comes to the very darkness and touches it and forsakes it from his people. It's beautiful. Much more in line with what Paul is saying to the church. Before Jesus, you were darkness. The word means that you were a shade. It means you were nothing. You know what your shadow is? It is only the thing that is cast from the light. There is nothing there. Paul says this was your condition before our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want us to understand that first this morning. That in Paul's great conviction about putting off and putting on, the first thing he says is that Christ came to us. You'll know that he said... You were dead in your transgressions. You were necros. It means you were corpse. You couldn't move until Christ enabled you, until Jesus came to you. We've talked this morning about going and sharing our faith. It's the model that Jesus gave. We love because he first loved us. Jesus came 
and touched us in darkness. And in the touch, we become light. Now, that's an equally as crazy idea, I think, you know. Look at verse 8 with me again. He says, For you were once darkness, shade, shadow, nothing. But now you are light in the Lord. Now you are light in the Lord. It doesn't mean that you are in the light, although John writes, doesn't he? You are in the light. But here he says, you are light. I was thinking, so you go from this darkness, what's the opposite? Well, we would say it's light. But the biblical model of what light looks like is called phos. And phos is different than just a light. It's something more like this. You see what happened? In an instant, this began to give light. This is what Paul says. You go from darkness to light. In a moment when Christ touches you, you become light. You become light in a dark world. This is a whole different concept than the light switch or being in the light. He says, in Jesus, we are light in the world. We are made to shine. We are made to burn as a fire, the word says. Now, it's interesting to me because there's something about the proclamation of the word that I love. There's something about the proclamation of the gospel that it gets me excited and I heard a quote one time when I was preparing to become a, a pastor and a preacher, and the word came from this guy named John Wesley. John Wesley was a, uh, a good Methodist, they would say, since he started it, okay? And John Wesley was asked, why do so many people come to hear you preach the word of God? How does that happen? And John Wesley's answer was this. He said, I set myself on fire, and they come to watch me burn. What a crazy thing to say, John. Couldn't you just say you preach well? Couldn't you say you took a class on proper hermeneutics? He says, I burn with passion for God. And I let people see it. This word is not reserved for John Wesley, and it's certainly not reserved for me. It's for the people of God to be passionate, and to burn for him. As a matter of fact, you'll notice that in this very small way, this match, it just kind of burned for a minute, didn't it? Just for a second, it burned. I want to share with you a word that Paul wrote to a young follower of Jesus. Remember the story of Timothy. And in the second letter to Timothy, he writes these words. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It's much like the putting off and putting on, isn't it? He says, you have that flame in you. Have you ever done that? I mean, this is the season of camping, isn't it? Of canoe trips of being out in the wild, although it's been so hot, who would want to have a campfire? 
But have you ever had a little spark? A little ember? Paul says that's a gift of God. And your job, follower of Jesus, is to blow on it, fan it, make it burn for his glory. Paul and the teaching of the Bible is very consistent. I love that about God. He tells us the truth and he tells us repeatedly because we are slow to learn. We are slow of hearing and slow in obedience. He says, fan into flame this gift of God. It's not so much like this little matchstick, you see, but it's more like this. Now, aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> when I got this out, Chris goes, why do you have that? And I go, what? She was very concerned. I go, what do you think it is? She's like, dynamite? <laughs> it's not dynamite. That would be a federal offense to bring that here, I'm sure. Okay, what is this? This is a flare. Have you ever seen these things? On the side of the highway, the big truck broke down. You take off this cap right here, and you strike it. I mean, this thing, I can't put this off in here. We're liable to have waterworks. We're liable to have the department show up. We're liable to go to jail. Okay, I'm liable to go to, so, but th this burns, right? It's not this little thing. But you ignite it and it burns. It's different. Paul says you were darkness and now you are light in the world. So fan into flame this gift that God has given you. Work it, blow it, nurture it, care for it, desire it. Desire God's glory in your life. You see, the question becomes for me then, if you are called to be light, how does Christ's light shine through us in your life? How does his light shine for others to see? I remember going to camp. Camp's coming up, by the way, next week. I remember going to camp. We learned that little song, This Little Light of Mine. I always felt like more, I was like this little, this little thing here. You know what I mean? And it would go out, you know? This little light of mine. It's just burning to God. Matter of fact, Jeremiah, one of my favorite prophets, right? He writes, and he says, God's word burns in my bones like a fire. If I tried to shut my mouth, I could not. It has to come out in your life. The glory of God, his presence in you, this life in the gospel of Jesus Christ should burn from the inside out. And, you know, I know, not always spectacular. It's not about being noticed, but it's about bringing glory to God in the way that only you can. God has called you to be light in the world. I'll share with you from the Gospel of Matthew, because we are to be light in the world. If we get it up on the screens. Hey, look at that. There it is. It says, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It says, neither do people light a lamp, right? I mean, if you're going to light a lamp, he said, you don't put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on a stand. And look at what it says. This reminds me of last week with the odor of God. It fills the whole house. It gives light to everyone in the house. You are a light. You are a light in the world. 
Later on, the Gospel of Mark says it this way. He says, Jesus says, he said to them, do you bring a lamp in and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? Check out the next verse. For whatever is hidden is meant to be made light, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. It's the work of the church to be a revealer. You recall we talked about speaking the truth in love, to bring light into the world. I want to share one other verse with you this morning, and it comes from the Gospel of John. This is interesting. If you would turn there, John 17 is a very interesting passage because John 17 is the time that Jesus stops his holy assignment on the cross to die for our sins, and he stops to pray for his people, and his prayer is profound. But in verse 15 of the 17th chapter, this is what he prays. We, it's recorded that he prays this way. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. Like, Jesus' desire is not to have you snatched from the world. I find this amazing because a lot of times we talk about end-time stuff. People say, I can't wait to leave. I, I can't wait to be out of here. You might have seen the stickers on the car that say, you know, in the event of Christ's return, this vehicle will be without a driver. What are we saying to the world? Man, we can't wait. He's gone. We're gone. I remember a great friend of mine came to faith in Christ, and he said, now that I'm a believer, I, don't, I just want to go be with Jesus. I don't want this earth stuff. I got glory ahead. I got God's presence. And Jesus' own prayer to the Father is, Father, I pray not that you would take them from the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one in the world. Why would Jesus pray that way? Look at what it says with me. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And check out verse 18. Here's what he says. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. That's the call of the church. You were darkness, but now you're light. And his call in our lives is to go out and be a light in the world, to burn with passion for Jesus to burn for the glory of God. I love that. I don't do that well. I love that, though, that that's God's desire for me, to live as children of light, to show, to reveal. Read on with me in Ephesians. We're going to jump through these last few verses here. Ephesians if you lost your place, chapter 5, starting up in, uh, in verse 8 again, just at the second half of verse 8. Here's Paul's instruction, therefore, light, church, here's the word. Live, therefore, as children of light. He says, the fruit of light consists in these things, goodness, righteousness, and truth. He says that if you are living as children of the light, you will have this manifestation. You know, fruit grows on trees, right? And the things that you see growing in your life are goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is the manifestation of God's presence and our obedience 
in his spirit. This is the fruit of God. But look at what the next thing that he says. And this is striking to me because of what we're trying to do with some are dedicated to Christ. He says, and find out what pleases the Lord, church. Your job is to be a light in the world and to find out what pleases God. Now, that's an interesting thing to say to the church. Other places, the word says that you will know God's perfect will for your life. Here, Paul says, go try some things. The word literally means discern, but it means you make an attempt. You make a run at it. You give it a go, and you see what happens. And over time, in your trying, you will know where God is calling you to be. But you have to try. You have to try something. Are you like me? Do you like to sit back and wait until the whole picture is clear? Do you know what I mean? Do you look and you say, you know, God, I think you're doing something over there, and I'd like to be part of it, but I don't know exactly what it is yet. Are you more like Paul, Timothy? Oh, God's over there. Let's go. Let's go do that. Let's try that. Oh, that wasn't what he wanted for me. You remember when Paul was going to go into Asia and share the gospel, and he said, the Holy Spirit closed the doors for me so I could reach this other people group. You try it. He says, live as children of light there and in that way, discern what the will of God is for you. As you see these fruit manifest in your life of goodness, of righteousness, of truth, of being truth tellers, no lying, speakers of truth, no concealment, you'll know that you're doing God's work, his will. Verse 11, read with me. Having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Paul makes an accusation against all the time in darkness. The darkness manifests nothing. It comes to nothing. And Paul says, do not partner with darkness any longer. I said earlier, he's writing to the church, the holy people of God. And he's like, hey, by the way, stop partnering with darkness and start being light. Paul says, no longer be partners with darkness. Rather, look at what he says, expose darkness. You know what's interesting? Because when you, can, you feel like exposing darkness, it's like it feels like an attack. But you know what's interesting is that like light dispels darkness. Paul's going to wrap up this kind of this section of scripture talking about the impact, the need to be serious about following God and being light in the world. But here is this idea that light exposes things. And you might feel like me sometimes, be less mean. You know, there's a reality, and I'm blown away. We talk about how to share our faith, how to witness. If you just show up as a follower of Jesus in a dark place, people will begin to be convicted of sin. Not because you're acting high and holy, because there is a tangible difference because of God's Spirit in you, and they will begin to be convicted. I told you a story before, I won't tell you again, but about people who will come up and start confessing things to you, and I, you keep saying, hey man, I'm not trying to judge, and they're going, no, there's all this stuff that's wrong. Because light dispels dark. Christ's light in you will expose the deeds of darkness. As a matter of fact, if you read on, he says, it is shameful even to speak, to mention the things a disobedient 
give birth to in secret, that these hidden places, these supposedly safe or closed doors, how many times do you hear that? You know, you say to somebody, man, you're doing great. And they go, you don't know what it's like inside. You don't know what it's like in that dark place. I was watching a, a video the other day of a um, famous pastor right now, Francis Chan, a man who burns with God's passion, a passion for God. And uh, he was talking to someone about his faith. He was trying to share John 3.16. Uh, right now he's left his ministry in the pulpit, and he's trying to really be one-on-one discipleship. And he's sitting with this guy, and he's sharing about the love of Jesus and how God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and then it will dispel darkness in your life. And this man becomes convicted. And you know what he says? It's really interesting. He says, yeah, man, I get that. It reminds me of my friends and I are going to do something that we ought not do. We find a dark corner to do it in. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They started to try to hide, cover up with things that can't cover them from God's presence. It resonates. Light dispels darkness. Paul says, don't even talk about the things that the darkness gives birth to, but instead expose them. Expose these fruitless deeds. Check it out. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That's kind of a weird thing that is said right there. And I dug around, dug around. But it means that by its nature, light illuminates. When you show up, you, and if you have Christ, you can't help but illuminate. But you have to think, instead of it, thinking of it as this kind of exposure, like, ah! You have to think about when you go to the emergency room and you've been wounded, you're seeping, you're bleeding, and you've been covering it up and you've been hiding it all these years. When you get into the emergency room, what do they do to you? They, they cut off your clothes all crazy and they pull that wound open and they get that big light, don't they? And they put it right in the side. And, and you just, and if you're like a parent, I've had to have my kids, you just go, leave him alone. He suffered enough. And they say, we have to see what's going on to fix it. This is the idea of light exposing darkness. That they, they look and they see, they irrigate, and they make sure it's cleansed, and then they seal it up, and then they bind it up. Too often in the church, we put Band-Aids on things that need surgery. Too often in our own lives, we just hope it'll go away, it'll scab over, and there'll be no infection. And Christ is saying, no, let the light into the dark place. Let me heal you there. So you may be fully redeemed by my spirit. Jesus here says, but everything exposed to light becomes visible. It's the work of light in the world. Now, this is what Paul says. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Isn't that funny? Wake up. You guys look awake. Huh? He says, wake up. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I mean, this is what it reminds me of. Wake up! Wake up! That's what I see.
That's James Brown. He said, wake up, James Brown. Oh, God, right? A sinner in need of redeeming. You know what I'm saying? He says, wake up, church. Wake up. Rise from the dead, sleeper. And let Christ shine on you in your life. It's just a funny thing. It's from the Blues Brothers. I love that movie. I just had to share that with you because that's what it reminded me of every time I read it. Wake up. Wake up. And what is our response when God says, wake up? Are we like, nah, you know? Are we like, get up. Stand up. And let Christ shine on you. Here's the last word today. Be very careful then how you live, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. The word says, redeeming the days you have. Wake up and redeem the days that you have. You might say, well, that's crazy. Why would I do that? What, what's my purpose in that? I just want to live. Paul says, redeem the days because they are evil. Huh? That's interesting. And I thought, man, what's... here's what I think. When we won't share Christ. I don't mean go be weird, but I mean when you won't let the light of God out, when you won't become a passionate follower, when you lay in bed instead and don't get up and preach the gospel... Paul says, those days are evil out there. The people are suffering without a Savior. What he says is, their days are hard and full of labor. The people that Christ died to save. And every day, I want you to think about this, church. Every day that we don't let Christ's light shine in us, we're regulating someone else to another day of darkness. Do you hear what I'm saying? Another day laboring under the hot sun with no hope and no future. It's not about you. It's about them. It's not about you. It's about the God who died to save you and has sent you into the world. Here Paul says, the days are full of hard labor. So wake up, go, and be a light for Christ. So you think, well, what does one light do? And I think, what would a whole bunch do? Can you imagine? What if there was 30 lights shining? Or what if there was 60 lights shining for Christ? Or a hundred, or a thousand, or a million what if there were other people going to Chad? Other people going. What if there were more of Christ's light in the world? You say, I'm just one. You are one of many. I hope today that you will consider God's call for you to burn for his glory. Please join me in prayer today. Father God, as we've come here and we've stood in the shadow of your cross, how do we respond? What does our life look like in you? We confess that we so often don't respond. So often we just live and let live. Father, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our disobedience. Thank you for the correction of your spirit. 
I pray, Lord, in every way possible that we would put off the old and put on the new, that we would let go of darkness and put on the light. I pray, Father God, that in you we'd be found whole, complete, redeemed, healed, restored, and passionate for your kingdom. And in everything, Lord Jesus, I pray that you are glorified and that we are strengthened for the journey ahead that every day we face as a gift from you in your power, in your way. And for our friends here today that don't know Christ, that don't know your salvation, that don't know your great love, I pray by the prompting of your Holy Spirit, you would show them how much you love them. I pray, Father God, that just like us, they might be saved and redeemed. And may you be glorified for the work that you are doing May you call us evermore to be your people, faithful in you. And we'll give you praise and glory today and all the days for all eternity. Amen. I don't know if God has piqued some things in your heart. You can pray. God is accessible to you where you are. He's not a distant God. He is a present God. And I hope you'll take the opportunity to know him more today. As we stand and sing and respond, I pray you respond to God.